0: Hello, folks, and welcome to episode 28 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, it is Monday, September 7th, is just at the end of Labor Day. We hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. We know it started off pretty well with some Duke gang action, but before we get into that, let's kick it to our hosts today. I'm the host today. I'm Donald Wine, a.k.a. Blazing DW, on the boards. We also have Sam Klein, a.k.a. Dev 11. Sam, how's it going?
1: Hi, Donald. Nice to hear from you.
0: Nice to hear from you, too. And also, our man Jason Evans down in Atlanta. Jason, what's going cracking?
2: Idaho. It is fun watching some Duke football.
0: Football, yes. We are going to get into the football. Let's start with that. Uh, so the scene was Yolman Stadium. Is it Yolman Stadium? In New Orleans, Louisiana. And it was last Thursday where Duke gang opened up college football season with a 37-7 blowout of Tulane. Uh, it was a really good game all around, I thought. And uh, let's start with, Let's start with you, Jason. What did you What did you think of the game? What was your uh, thoughts of the uh, opening game of the season?
2: Well, I did something I don't usually do with uh, football games. I sometimes do this with basketball games. I went ahead and I took notes of different things I noted along the way, um, and and I'll I'll just go through a couple of them that um uh, that that really stuck out to me. Uh, the, the first first thing I put down was that I really liked that we were running an up tempo offense. I don't know if folks noticed, but um, it really looked like Duke was going no huddle a lot, or you know, damn quick huddle because they were getting up to the line, calling plays quickly. Um, I think it kept uh, Tulane off balance early on. Um, I, I love it from a confidence in Thomas Sirk kind of standpoint because it, it means that the coaches feel like he's under complete control. And and one of the biggest takeaways from this game, I think, for all of us Duke fans was, you know, we didn't know what we were going to get from Thomas Sirk. We'd heard lots of good things about the practices, um, you know, the report we got from Jim Kennedy the other day was, sorry, the report we got the other day from Jim Sumner was was really, you know, positive on Thomas Sirk. But we didn't know until we saw him in a game. And I, I thought he was absolutely in control almost the whole time. Um, he looked fabulous out there, whether it was running the ball, we knew he could run really well, or the passing. He was very accurate. I mean, people don't like to say, oh, comparing him to... to to Boone, because you don't want to seem like you're talking down about, um, you know, Anthony Boone, who was a wonderful quarterback for Duke. But I felt like Thomas Sirk was better than Anthony Boone um, and, and really showed accuracy that Boone hadn't shown um, on the defensive side of the ball. One of the biggest notes I took was uh, twice the first two drives when uh, Tulane went out on third down and, and both times it was third and very makeable. Um, uh, it was Jeremy Cash who was involved in, in the big third down tackles. And then later when I started to notice, Devon Edwards was also involved in, in, in a number of key tackles. Uh, those two guys are the leaders of this defense. Uh, frankly, I'll be surprised if they both... I mean, Cash is already an All-American. I think Edwards is going to get a lot of All-American consideration. It was great to see the way... Cutcliffe has transformed not just Duke's offense but Duke's defense because for years Duke has been a team that tried to put up points and then hoped that they could maybe keep you from putting up even more points um guys I'm going to give you a couple numbers and I want you just to, uh, to be as in awe of this as I am and I know Tulane was overmatched but Duke rushed for 206 yards Tulane rushed for 25 yards my goodness I, I mean best Tulane best. only rushed for they only rushed for 25 yards and Tulane is not a great ball club by any stretch of the imagination. They're, they're you know sort of definitely in the bottom tier of uh, of Division One teams. But still holding them to 25 yards is is really impressive. They were really they were never in this game offensively, um, and, and that's a huge credit to Duke's defense stepping up and being way better than it's been in the past. A couple other things, and then uh, then I'll toss it over back back to you guys. I loved what we got from uh, Barnes and uh, TJ Ramming. Um, I I thought John L. Barnes and Ramming both absolutely showed that they can step up and become really important, both possession receivers and deep threat receivers for Duke. Uh, Both guys showed Ramming, especially showed incredible speed. And how could you not love what we got from Sean Wilson running with the ball? I thought he seemed incredibly difficult to tackle. Um, He had, breakaway kind of speed he was so fast it was it was fabulous to watch um, these guys who haven't necessarily had as many chances in the past um, they get their chance and I include Thomas Serkin this as well and they absolutely step in and perform beautifully uh, it, you know it shows you what what cut has done in terms of recruiting at Duke bringing in better and better athletes better and better players who um, who when they're given a chance are able to play at, at really elite division one level. It's really encouraging. It makes you think that this team uh, is going to be able to do special things this season. And then the last thing I want to say is, uh, as great as this was for Duke, I mean, we've got to recognize Tulane was terrible. Um, and and not just from the fact that Duke was clearly, you know, had better athletes and was faster uh, and probably bigger and more skilled. Uh, Tulane was just playing sloppy. Um, I mean, just look at what they did on special teams. Their long snapper, on their punts. I think the first two snaps he had, the punter had to jump way high up in the air. And so the guy said, okay, I'll adjust for that. And so the long snapper then pr- produced a snap that went about two yards. It was one of the worst long snaps you'll ever see in your life. That Remember they had the kickoff um, where the guy caught it and downed himself on the one-yard line. Early in the game, they had the punt that they did where one of their guys lined up off. I'm sorry, it was our punt. And one of their guys on defense lined up offsides. And as a result, we've got our first down out of it. We turned that drive into points. Um, uh, Tulane did everything they could to make this as easy as possible on Duke. And that's what happens when you have a game that's 37-7. to 7. But, uh, you know, still great things to see from the Blue Devils. The only little thing I'd like to see improved is we didn't do a great job in the red zone, I thought. Um, especially early in the game we got to get points when we get down as close as we were getting to their goal line but other than that fabulous fabulous effort it was a lot of fun what was it like to be there sam
1: i'll preface all of my thoughts with being there by telling you that i attended the alumni association tailgate before the game um and that <laughs> i uh i really got my money's worth um so it was <laughs> that it was a lot only one
0: way to do that and and, <laughs> and you did it correctly
1: yeah i i i was uh, embracing the new orleans spirit if you will um we had we had a really really great time we got to see president broadhead and dean sue and lots of other you know the sort of community folk who, who like to show up for things like this um so i got some i got some funny pictures that i i can show you guys anyhow um i i agree with all the uh, analysis that jason presented i you, I, I had written some stuff down, you know. Now, before we were recording, I obviously wasn't writing anything down during the game because um, I was standing and screaming the whole time. But uh, you, you jog my memory on a few things. One of which, and I'll, I guess I'll start with a criticism because I think that there were, there were a number of good things that you pointed out. Um, there are a few young guys, especially on defense in the on the line, and then and then also in the defensive backfield, who seemed like they were a little bit scared of, of playing in their first game. Um, it was, uh, you know, the the big, the big two lane reception that went for the touchdown um, was being defended by a freshman. There were there were a couple moments on the line where where two lane players broke through, where you could see freshmen who who were not uh, maybe the most confident in what they were doing. But for the most part, I thought they played well. There were also uh, a few kind of silly penalties that Duke incurred that I think we could have we could have avoided. That one pass interference that we got called for that led to the to the one two lane score. I thought was a ridiculous call, but, um, but that was my opinion from the sands, you know, in the Duke section, surrounded by the, the, you know, all the, all the parents of the team and everything. So. Well, um,
2: if it, if it matters on TV, it looked like a pretty bad call as well, but you know what, here's what I said about when, when that happened, I sort of went, said to myself, you know what, over the course of the season, we're going to get some good calls. We're going to get some bad calls. Um, I don't mind getting (laughs) a bad call. In exactly. A game that we're going to win yeah. in a huge blowout. Let's take the exactly. bad ones
1: in those games, <laughs> exactly, and save I, the good I, yeah. ones for the games that they'll be tough. The uh, stat line that Cirque put up looks really good. I think that there are a lot of things that he's going to improve, other that he, that he needs to improve uh, and should improve over the next few weeks. I think that some of the passes were uh, some of the passes were behind some of the receivers or over their heads, and and we happen to have good receivers who who have long arms and are able to. And, and we're able to recover from some of those mistakes. I thought that T.J. Roming had a couple plays that were really impressive, uh, especially for a true freshman. John L. Barnes, as you mentioned, Jason made made a number of good catches. Had a couple balls slip through his hands. That again, I think these are things that'll that'll improve as the season goes on. Um, I think that from what we heard about Cirque in the preseason, from the things that Jim Sumner told us and from the things that we saw from Coach Cutcliffe over the last few weeks, I'm expecting Cirque to get better than the version that we saw yesterday or Yesterday on Thursday. Um, he's going to he's gonna have to play, uh, he's gonna have to play better, better in the passing game for us to want to compete with teams like Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech and you know, the top of the ACC Coastal. Um, but I, I liked what I saw you know, coming out the gate. Uh, as you mentioned Jeremy cash, he's, I mean, he's everywhere on the field. He's so good. Um, Devon Edwards made another, uh, another kick return that was obviously, you know, so much fun to watch. You know, he's running down to the side of the field that, that the Duke section was on. So that was exciting. This is the second time in two years that I've, that I've attended a Duke football game where, uh, where Devon Edwards returned a kick for a touchdown. Although I guess that isn't, isn't isn't so remarkable given how often he seems to do it. And then, uh, I think overall, the defense played really well. i was I was happy to see some of the improvement, especially from the linebackers and from the defensive backs. Um, I think that it was a good game that that probably couldn't have gone much better for us, given it was the first game of the season. The weather in New Orleans was so muggy. Uh, and it and I could only imagine how hard it was to play in that. Um, but the guys did a great job. and uh, and the fans that we brought with us were really supportive um the team after the games i know they do this at home you know they go over to the student section they high five all the uh all the people in the front row they came over and they did that after this game um coach cutcliffe kind of came by as they were they were headed back into the tunnel and he took a few moments to like wave at everybody and say hi and uh you you know you can tell that this that the staff and the players really appreciate the support they're getting from the program uh and from the fans at these games i mean our section was loud the whole night Uh, i was really into it so um I'm very glad i went my buddies and i all had a great time uh, i got to see all my friends who still work for the for the team uh there so it was uh it was good and uh and the trip to new orleans was a lot of fun the i will say that the duke game uh was a lot more entertaining than the lsu mcneese state uh football game that i went to in baton rouge on saturday which officially never happened uh it got canceled after the first five minutes because of a uh, lightning storm so my friends and i drove up there we like tailgated for a few hours and then we And then we went home um so that was that was kind of a bummer but uh overall really really wonderful time uh going to see football this weekend in new orleans
2: if you tailgated at an sec football game then you got the best part of the game in
1: oh my god it like listen i love duke football it's it's one of my absolute favorite things in the whole world you know i i was as i mentioned I, i was a part of the program for a couple years um I went to a lot of games. I've been to a lot of away games. I love it. I love the community, the people, everything. There is just nothing. There, there's like no. There's nothing similar about going to a Duke game and going to an LSU game. Um, any, <laughs> any recruit, any recruit that we are that we are signing that has an offer from an SEC school um, is a is a miracle. It is a miracle every time we take one because that the atmosphere before the game and the atmosphere leading into the game and then right at the beginning, which is all that I got um was just it it's it's indescribable it's so much fun everybody has to go to one of these big sec football schools uh and go to a go to a football game it's so much fun the people are so into it uh and they're so incredibly nice uh the the it's a it's a perfect experience um i i see why there's such a cult of it um Having uh, it was the first SEC game I've been to, and I, I went to a game at Clemson a couple years ago, and sort of experienced a similar vibe. It's it's on another planet.
2: Well, it, it's like coming to Cameron.
1: Yeah, it is. It, it's yep. like coming to Cameron, except that there are ten times as many people at the game as there are in Cameron, <laughs> and, More, ten times ten as times. Many,
0: and ten times as many bottles of Jack Daniels.
1: Oh my God! It's 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 wild. It's completely wild and and totally lawless. Um, yeah. It's amazing that the thing exists like in the, in the way that it does because it's so over the top, but uh, I'm very glad that it does. And I'm very glad I got to experience it. And I can't wait to go back.
0: It sounds like you enjoyed every stitch of new Orleans and, and, and Louisiana a state. Uh, and I'm quite jealous of you for that, but uh, yeah, thank you for that recap. And, uh, Tiger Stadium, we will probably see you soon, uh, probably not for a Duke game, but for just us coming down to drink all of your bourbon and eat all of your jambalaya. But um, the takeaways that I had from the Duke game back to, uh, back to that, um, you mentioned a couple of things about the defense. One stat that I thought was awesome, they gave up only 271 total yards. You mentioned the 25 yards passing. There was 2 uh, I'm sorry, the 25 yards rushing. There was 246 yards passing. And 76 of them were on that one touchdown Hail Mary type play where it was really a throw it up, throw it up and somebody go gets it. And uh, our defender McDuffie fell. Um, So I'm not really worried about the defense. The defense did their job all night other than that one play. Um, They had four sacks. They, uh, they had a, they had a turnover as well. They had an interception. Um, They really had an excellent performance. Of course they have room for improvement, but I think, that they were the shining star uh of of the of the uh weekend. When you have a team on the road um and you're trying to walk away with seven points, that is a remarkable stat in itself. Uh also, I think the low point I would say is that we had two fumbles that we lost and you know, we can't turn the ball over um that way. We also had one that was actually a fumble but they called it back. Um it was on a uh, a catch. They determined the runner was down, but the replay showed that he may have actually not been down. But they decided to give the ball to us anyway. So get, those are just little nitpicky things that we had to protect the football. Is obviously something that uh, Coach Cutcliffe will work on this week uh, and leading up to the Central game. Uh, and finally, I, I think the the one thing that we had was we had momentum the entire night. I think the only time that Tulane had any momentum was after they scored that touchdown. And any momentum they had lasted about four seconds. And then, boom, Devon Edwards runs back uh, the kickoff for a touchdown. So that was that. I, I think that was – we we did our job in, in New Orleans. We went down there. Offense was clicking. Ground game was working. We didn't give up a sack. The defense was on point all night. And everybody went down there with the task of getting a big victory, and they did just that. So I think that was uh, a really good – really good – Thing to see, and for that to open up college football, one of the few games that opens up college football on, on that Thursday night, that's what you want the nation to see. I think that was a good showing from our from our guys. You guys, have anything else before we move on? Neglected
1: yeah, I neglected to mention um, on Cirque. I mean, I'll take this really quick. Um, while I while I think that Cirque's passing is going to improve and should improve, um, he was for the most part pretty good with the ball running. Um, I thought that. You know, it's it, we. You know, we talked about last week, and, and we've talked about before how Duke's kind of had this dual quarterback system thing going on, and that Cirque's not necessarily like Cirque can probably handle the whole quarterback load better than better than the last couple quarterbacks have. Um, I was impressed with the way that he ran the ball. I was impressed with with his decision making. So I think that that part of his game looked really strong, and that I I look forward to that being a key part of the way that we're moving the ball. That he's going to probably end up with a lot more all-purpose yards than than any of his predecessors did well
2: and and on that same note um i want to talk about parker bame for a second uh i wonder if we're going to see um when duke first got inside the five yard line the first time we did um cut did the same thing he's done in years past and he brought in his designated goal line guy and this time it's parker bame even though a lot of us sort of went hey wait a second this is what Thomas Cirk did last year. Yeah, <laughs> this is a really good at role. Yeah, and he was really good at it. Um, why, why are we suddenly taking him out? We, we know he can succeed at this. And and Bame struggled, you know, his first two plays. He he had a ball that uh, I don't think he threw it very well, and then he had a running play that didn't work out very nicely. And then Cirque came in on third down, and we ended up not getting – we got a field goal instead of a touchdown. Uh, and I really wonder if we're going to see Parker Bame continue to be the goal line guy, continue to be the, the short yardage guy. I think they may just put everything, um, in, in you know, give it all to Circ. But I did want to say about Parker Bame that even though he started out not great, I thought that the last uh, the last drive he he engineered, he looked very good on. Um, I I thought he seemed much more accurate with his throws, and and I think he's going to be a capable backup. The other and, thing I wanted to mention. Go, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say on that note, um, he had. This past week, and he has this coming week against overmatched opponents to be able to get that playing time. Um, after that, we have Northwestern and Georgia Tech in consecutive weeks, and uh, you know, I uh, I don't expect that he's going to get a lot of playing time against those teams, you know, in the blowout uh, sense. Because we there should be good games where we're hanging tough, and we don't we don't have time to be spending a, a drive engineered by the backup quarterback.
2: Yeah. Okay. So one other thing I wanted to note, and I think that maybe it didn't matter because we're beating Tulane so badly, but um, I I only noted it because I've noticed this in the past when Duke has had leads in the fourth quarter of games. Um, For some reason, Duke doesn't like to run the clock down and take advantage of a ticking clock. I'm not talking about the final two minutes of the game. I'm talking like, Hey, you're leading by four. You're leading by seven. You're leading by 10 and there's seven minutes left.
1: And Are you I'm calling for ble- – hey, wait, Jason, are you calling for stall ball? <laughs> he is calling for stall ball. That's exactly it's what I – It's not basketball heard. season yet. We can't have this – we can't have this argument yet.
2: No, no, seriously, though, Duke had a lead um, in the fourth quarter, and we were sort of – I noticed we were constantly running plays with 20, 25 seconds left on the clock, um, with the clock running. And, look, again, it was fine because we were beating Tulane, and they showed no signs of coming back, and they did not come back at all. But you know what – If we get in that situation, if we're beating Georgia Tech or Northwestern in a couple weeks, God, I really want to make sure that we're getting the most out of that clock. That, you know, if we got a possession and we can run four or five minutes off of it, run four or five minutes off it. Don't only run two minutes or two and a half minutes off of it, because those extra minutes could be really important if you've got a lead late in the game. Um, And like I say, I've. I've noticed this about Cut in the past. I've i seen other Duke games where this happened. And again, I'm not talking about the final four minutes. I'm talking about the final twelve minutes or so. Go ahead. I think answer me.
1: I think Coach Cutcliffe's answer to that, if you were to pose that that criticism, mm-hmm. and maybe we can get Jim Summer to Summer to ask about it <laughs> in the press conference. But uh, I think that his response to that would be that the program goal is to have lots of speedy, well-conditioned guys and. Mm-hmm that that's playing our game is, is playing at that speed. I agree with you. It, it, it probably would be beneficial if we are winning by some amount with some amount of time left that milking the clock is the best move. Um, but it's not the identity that coach Cutcliffe wants to have for this team. And, and like you said, against Tulane, it probably doesn't matter. Um, I'd be curious to see if that sort of thing does happen against one of these good opponents that's coming up soon on the schedule.
0: Yeah. I yeah. think he, I, I think he aims more for, don't give them a chance to give them any rest. Uh, or the defense, or even offense, march down the field, do it very quickly, methodically, and everybody on their team is tired, and not just the defense. So I think that's kind of what I see out there when he's doing these, you know, quick sets. Right.
2: Well, and and I'll be the first one to admit that David Cutcliffe might know a little bit more about football and football strategy than I do. So. He might.
0: <laughs> oh, me too. Oh, me too. He might. I'll let <laughs> him have that title every day. I, I,
1: I I've I've talked to the man a little bit. Um and uh, I've always come away thinking, man, he knows so much more than everybody else, and he's so oh, yeah, he's so good at articulating it too. Um, like yeah. he, he knows exactly what he wants to tell you, and he tells it to you so succinct. Oh my god, he's he's incredible. Anyway, sorry, Coach Cutcliffe, rant.
0: Yeah. So so let's <laughs> get uh, let's I think we're done with Tulane. Um, sorry Tulane, but uh, thanks for the thanks for the jambalaya. Uh, we're gonna move on now to the Bull City Classic. Uh, it is this Saturday. We're playing NC Central. Uh, that game has been set for 6 p.m. Uh, uh, at night on east on the East Coast, at least. Um, let's start off with you, Jason. Uh, give us a quick preview and, and what you think about this upcoming game.
2: Okay, so um, I'm going to freely admit that I am not an expert on NC Central, and so the first thing I did – um, when it came time to sort of check them out was, I wanted to see, could this team be competitive with Duke? I know they're a double A team or whatever they call it, you know, football conference subdivision, whatever the heck that name is now. But there's some double a, one double a teams that are that are pretty impressive. So um, I went to see Jeff Sagarin's rankings um, of uh, of of all the uh, football teams in in college to see where they ranked to see if they might be someone who could compete a little bit with Duke, at least according to the computer models. Um, just for those of you who are wondering, Duke, um, in Sagarin's preseason rankings was number 48, 48. Um, and, uh, and so I, I I went to to search on my computer to find NC Central. And I, I couldn't search for North because I wasn't or sent or Carolina, because I wasn't sure if they were listed as North Carolina Central or NC Central. So I searched for the word Central. And Before I got to NC Central, I I came across Central Florida, who's number 53, and and then I scrolled down a little bit more, and it was taking me a little while, and I I finally got to the team number 123 in the rankings is Central Michigan, so so still no NC Central, and and I was scrolling a little bit more. I got to Central Arkansas at number 154. Again, Duke's ranked in the 40s, Um, and I kept on scrolling down, and finally, finally, I got to NC Central at number 209. They are the 209th best team, according to Jeff Sagarin, in college football. They are, by the way, just a little bit ahead of the last of the centrals, which is Central Connecticut. NC Central just doesn't belong on the same field with Duke. I didn't do a lot more research other than that. Once I saw that, I knew that with the way we have improved our program, with the way our our speed, team speed is, our athletes, and our size that NC Central is just not going to be able to compete with Duke. So that was the extent of my research. When I looked and I realized that they were only slightly better than Central Connecticut, I said, that's all I need to know. Duke's going to win this game in a blowout.
1: Now, that being said, Jason, you do know that Central Connecticut is the blue devils.
2: Um, Central so- Connecticut is the blue devils. Yes. So yes, Sam, and I, Sam and I were talking about this and Sam goes, yeah, they're the blue devils. And it, so it made me go, Hey, wait, I wonder how many blue devils there are. Cause I figured it was really, really uncommon and unlikely. Um, so I looked and checked. Uh, Central Connecticut is the Blue Devils. Uh, in New Orleans, Louisiana is a university named Dillard. Dillard are also the Blue Devils. Duke, of course, is the Blue I, Devils.
1: I didn't attend any Dillard football games this weekend.
2: No Dillard Blue Devil games? I'm sorry no. to hear that. Yeah. Kansas City Community College is the Blue Devils. Um, there's a school called Kasha Kasha or something like that in Illinois that are the Blue Devils. Lawrence Tech. In Southfield, Michigan, are the Blue Devils? Yep. SUNY SUNY Fredonia. For all of you up there in Fredonia, New York, listening to the DBR podcast, we are we are solidarity with you, SUNY Fredonia, the Blue and Devils. For all you
1: Marx Brothers movie enthusiasts, the uh, SUNY Fredonia Blue Devils. Yes, nice, <laughs> nice. Uh,
2: the Wisco- the Wisconsin Stout University are the Blue Devils. I don't know if there's a Wisconsin Light, uh, but Wisconsin Stout are the Blue Devils. Uh, the I think
0: university-
2: there's a Wisconsin porter. Yes, right. <laughs> Wisconsin knows its beer. Um, there is the University of King's College in Halifax, Nova Scotia, that are the Blue Devils. Shout out to Halifax. And finally, the University of Wisconsin Monta- Mantowoc. Uh, the University of Wisconsin Mantowoc is also the Blue Devils. So uh, it's not that surprising, I guess, that Central Connecticut the Blue Devils. It's a really, really common name.
1: And, and, the, and the lesson here is that if you live – in a state in Central time, uh, there's a good chance there's a school called the Blue Devils in your state, so check them out. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs>
2: uh, I think good. we got off track. We got off track there, didn't we?
1: That's okay. Yeah, well,
0: let's kick it to Sam for your for your uh, preview of Central.
1: I, I don't in have in much Central. to add. I don't have much to add, unfortunately. Um, I'm glad that Duke continues to play NC Central. It's great that there's another school locally that, that we get to play that I, I think that um, these games, even though Duke the last few years has has blown out Central every time we've played them, has gotten some good support from the community. It's nice that that we do it um, and and I uh, harbor no ill will towards NC Central. Um, but in all honesty, we should we should kick their butts up and down the field. I, I'm interested, I think you know I mentioned that this is the last kind of really easy game that we get before we get the Northwestern who last week um, beat Stanford in one of the more, I think surprising finishes of the weekend in college football, uh, and then the week after that we get Georgia Tech, who I think is the is the preseason favorite to win our division, and is by some you know by some national analysts sort of a a team that that has potential to end up in the college football playoff because they have what it takes to win the division and then beat you know Clemson mo- most likely at, from the other side um, to get to the to get to the playoff. So. Our schedule gets a lot harder after NC Central. I know that the team's going to be focused on beating them, um, but at the same time, I would hope that we're going into halftime with a comfortable lead and that we have opportunities for the starters to sit and for the backups to get some reps, just so you know, like guys like Parker Bames, to make sure that they're ready, uh, you know, in case something something goes wrong in future weeks. So um, look for Duke to come out quick and and try to put up a big lead. Similar, I think, maybe to the way that the Georgia Tech played this weekend against Alcorn State. Uh, and and the way you see a, a number of uh, a number of teams across the country, the the teams that expect to be very good um, when they play these FCS schools, just to beat them early and have it be done with. Uh, I don't want I don't want to see Duke hanging around uh, with NC Central. I, I want to see it be a, a quick and, and big margin.
0: Yeah, uh, and and the only thing that I will add, uh, other than what you guys have mentioned, is that uh, NC Central started off last week. Uh, playing St. Augustine's, which is based in Raleigh, um, and is a Division 2 school, and they beat St. Augs 72 to nothing. Um, that is impressive. In 72 any, to, did you say 72 seven, to nothing? 70, That's a big number. Seven, oh seven, it's a huge number in any division of football. They are not scoring 72 points on Saturday. They may score closer to zero points. Um, I, I think be- it's going to be a really big, really big victory. Um, and I hope that uh, everybody can get their playing time in and get, work out all the kinks before these big games come
1: up. What, what were and you going to say, Sam? Duke shut out NC Central when we played them a couple years ago uh, in the season where we won 10 games. So, um, you know, if that's, I think so far that's the season that's kind of the standard that we're holding the program to, you know, if, we're, you know, if that's like the, the peak. Um, so let's see us do that again. So wait. So if I
2: had St. Augustine's in seventy, I lost.
1: Correct. Damn. Correct. Yeah, I was. Something close. tells me the number Wasn't on the board. They almost covered. My my friends who <laughs> my friends who were with me at the at the LSU game on Saturday were trying to find betting lines for LSU versus McNeese State, but they they couldn't find anything.
0: That was probably off the books.
1: Yeah, I'm I, I'm not sure it's worth it was worth gambling on. All right. Uh, well.
0: NC Central on Saturday, 6 p.m. I think it's ESPN 3, but if not, then it's probably on ESPN, which means it'll be on TV. So tune in wherever you are. Um, Let's move on. We're actually going to shift gears to basketball. As pretty much everybody on the planet knows, uh, on Wednesday, the 2015-2016 Duke basketball schedule was released. Uh, We got all the game times. We got all the nights. I'm sure everybody has already marked their calendars the way that I have. I'm gonna start with you, Sam. Take us through the schedule and your thoughts on uh, what we are going to see this year.
1: Well, um, once again, Duke likes playing either at home or in big cities. Uh, We don't play outside of the state of North Carolina slash major cities uh, or major city areas until we visit Greenville, South Carolina to play Clemson on January 13th. Um, Prior to the new year, we only play in Durham, Chicago, and New York. And then leading into the ACC season, we have um, we're playing in Boston and then uh, in Winston Salem. So uh, once again, the Blue Devil uh, fans and alumni who are in big cities get get all the fun, um, which is fine. I mean, this is how the program likes to do it. It's a bummer that we don't get true road games, but as Coach K will tell you, it doesn't really it doesn't really give them any. Uh, any experience that's worth anything at tournament time. They want to get used to playing in big arenas. They want to get used to those weird sight lines. They want to do it early and often and against good opponents. I mean, it's not like it's not like Duke is lacking for good opponents early in the season. They've got Kentucky. Um, they got Indiana at home. Um, Utah is going to be really good. They're playing them in New York. That's a rematch from the tournament last year, uh, a game against VCU, and, and potentially a game against Wisconsin or Georgetown. There's a lot. There's a lot of good opponents on the schedule. Duke's got a lot of tournament teams they're going to see early, uh, and that's all that prior to the ACC season. So as as per usual, it's sort of become the MO. Um, Duke is playing a lot of good opponents either at home or um, in neutral site games, and you know people are going to harp on it. People can going to be like, oh, how come Duke doesn't play any true road games and all these things? It ultimately doesn't matter. Um, the Blue Devils are going to get the experience that they need early in the season. There's going to be a lot of things they're going to build on. Obviously Kentucky is a top five program, you know, nationally in general. And then also this season Duke and Kentucky are both going to be top five. Indiana is going to be, I think, very good. Utah is going to be very good. So um, I, and you know, we, we've already seen the non-conference schedule, but it's, it is good to see it all kind of together. And then looking ahead at the ACC season, I think the stretch that everybody has pointed out is that stretch from the NC State game starting on February sixth, kind of through the Louisville game on the twentieth. We get uh, NC State, Louisville, Virginia, North Carolina, and Louisville again um, without a without sort of a buy in there. There is a Monday to Saturday break, but um, there are no like off. It's going to sound like there's a, a week off or a, a weekend off or something in there. Uh, it's going to be a tough stretch. All those teams are looking to be uh, competitive in the ACC and competitive nationally, competing for a national championship. So you're going you're gonna to hear a lot about that stretch in, in early to mid-February. Um, the early part of the ACC season isn't as bad. I saw that uh, Clemson is renovating Little John this year, so they're playing the game in Greenville. So hopefully there are a lot of Blue Devil fans who can show up there because um, that, that should be a, hopefully an easier game to get tickets for. But that stretch in February is going to be key. That's going to be, you know, we'll, we'll have whatever we get from the early season. And, you know, if the team isn't, isn't up to where they think they're going to be, they're going to make changes um it's that stretch in mid-february when we're really going to see how good this team is and and be able to accurately maybe predict how far they're going to go in the tournament um so that's kind of my take on the whole schedule i'm i'm very excited to see how we come out against against kentucky and against indiana early on um jason what did you want to add to that
2: well, a, cu- a couple things. Um, the first one is, and, and look, I, I know the realities of putting a schedule together. And and I know, you know, Coach K's desire to play these neutral court games and the such and, and not true road games. And because he doesn't play a lot of road games, we don't get a lot of high profile teams that tend to come to Cameron too much other than like the Big Ten ACC Challenge. But um, I <laughs> tickets to a Blue Devil game are an incredibly wonderful thing if you can get them. Um, I feel kind of bad for for Blue Devil fans who are shelling out the money for tickets this year. Here is the list of home games until you get to ACC season. Um, you got a couple exhibitions against Florida Southern and Livingston. Then we get Sienna and Bryant. Those might as well be exhibitions. Then Yale, Utah State. Yale and Utah State are are, are, are decent clubs, but th- these are not games that we have to be very competitive. Indiana is a good game, but then Buffalo, Georgia Southern, Elon, Long Beach State, um, and then you finally get into the ACC wars when when the tickets are, are are really precious. But you know that's a long stretch. You're you're going into you know mid-January before you get other than that Indiana game, a, a game that really is a, a special game um, in Cameron. Uh, again, I know the reality of putting the schedule together. I don't know that this is all that different from what we see every year. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I kind of wish we would we would get a home and home with, uh, you know, I don't know. God, I would Kansas. love for us to get a home and home with Kansas. Yes, Kansas was the team that's going to come out of my lips. Um, there's several UCLA. other clubs. Yeah, a, a relaunched UCLA series that we had. We had a nice series with Michigan for a while that went away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Gonzaga. It, it's, a, it's a pity. It's it, it's a pity that there isn't you know, more here, but Hey, you correctly identified the stretch that's going to make or break the season. Um, The, the five games from, uh, you know, early February 6th through late February 20th. um, uh, Those, those are the the huge important games on the schedule. Um, It's going to be really interesting at that point to see how a young blue devil team has matured. Um, But, you know, the other thing I'll say about the schedule is uh, other than the Kentucky game, Duke's going to be favored in like their first 18 games, and and by favored I mean you know by more than two points. Uh, there there are a lot of these games in here. Um, you know you can talk about Indiana as a good opponent opponent, but they're coming into Cameron. You can talk about Utah as a good opponent. They're probably top 25, top 30 kind of team. I don't know that people really think Utah is going to really be able to play with Duke, um, Georgetown or Wisconsin, uh, VCU. Again, these are good teams, but It'll be pretty surprising in the college basketball world if these teams are able to beat Duke. If Duke's not a a pretty sizable favorite, I, I bet Duke's going to be a five plus point favorite, um, in sixteen of their first eighteen nineteen games.
1: Yeah, um, in that in that two K classic where it's VCU, Georgetown, and Wisconsin, those are all teams that are probably more in the like seven to eleven seed range. Not with you know Indiana is one of those teams that that. You know if they play their best, they could be a one seed, but it's more likely a, a two, a three, a four. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I those, agree. Those other teams, they're good teams, they're, they're, they're tournament teams, but they're not you know top four seed tournament teams,
2: right? And I don't want to imply that these teams can't beat Duke, I don't want to imply that Duke is you know that you can just pencil us in for 17 and one or, or something, even you know, or no, you know, no, or 16 and all. two. I'm not. I'm not implying that yet. And believe me, I'll be plenty excited when we're playing Yale and hopefully winning and and Bryant and things like that. When we do the podcast, I'll be enjoying every moment of it. Um, but uh, it, it is not um, as loaded an early season schedule as we sometimes see from Duke. But you know what? Hey, I'll take it. I don't mind being 17 and one if that's what it takes. <laughs> Donald, what about you?
0: Yeah. So I was I was looking through the schedule. You know, one thing that stood out to me first is. We avoid some really tough road matches that we had last year, uh, particularly Notre Dame and UVA. Uh, we only get them at home. Um, also, we avoid Syracuse, which, you know, a lot of people, when Syracuse joined the ACC, kind of penciled in Syracuse as the second rival uh, or the second budding rivalry to kind of replace Maryland. Um, and we only get them one time. We get them at home this year. Uh, so that was the interesting note that I thought, Uh, We do go to NC State. Um, I feel that's a really tough place for us to play. Um, And I think we dodged the bullet by avoiding Little John because that's also been a tough place for us to play in the past. Uh, And I I think those games uh, will be real mental tests as well as the fact that they will uh, really be ready to play us uh, in those arenas. Um, You were mentioning the home schedule. And looking at it, it doesn't seem all that different. Um, from years past I think the issue is even if the fans wanted to play these teams these can't like have a schedule Kansas on, at a home and home a lot of these big teams don't want to come to Cameron and I think that's the issue like I think that a lot of these little teams would love to come to Cameron because it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience for them uh, like Georgia Southern or Utah State um, but Utah doesn't want to have any part of Cameron I don't think I don't think that Uh, Kansas really does. I think a lot of these teams would want to uh, have us come play them at home, um, but when it came time for the return, they'd say, oh, let's play this in New York City where you really want to play. So I think that's kind of the issue with the home schedule, at least the non-conference part of it, is that these younger teams, these little teams, are dying to be in Cameron. And the teams that most fans would probably want us to see uh, do not want any part of Cameron and and that is kind of probably what the hangup is with regards to scheduling them. Um, but other than that, other than what you guys said, I think that that uh, stretch between February 6th and February 20th uh, is the stretch of the season. Um, I think all those teams were, are very difficult. they probably will all be ranked at that point. And we, it was, the good thing about that stretch is we get three of them at home uh, and we don't have to leave Cameron for a week, but then we go to, North Carolina, and then we go to Louisville three days later. So, I think it's going to be a a difficult schedule. It's going to be a very interesting schedule. Uh, And and again, I I kind of play this game every year. Of uh, you look at the schedule in every game, you say, "Oh, well, we should beat them, or we should, you know, this shouldn't be a close battle at all." And you still look at the schedule and say, "Well, we're not going to go undefeated. Where's the where's the loss coming?" Um, And I don't really see where, again, I'm looking at this, I don't see where the loss could come. There are obviously a lot of teams on here that could beat us, but if we play our game against all these teams, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't beat every team on any given night on the schedule. Um, so I think that's kind of where I see the schedule. I think it's, it's a very interesting one, um, and, but it's kind of following the MO of years past.
2: So, so anyone who thought I was crazy for saying seventeen and one, sixteen and two, or something like that, you're, you're saying, "Hey, baby, thirty-five and zero, right?"
0: <laughs> well, I'm not saying thirty-five and zero, but you know how it is. You Donald, every day, Donald, every get, the, of Donald get the
1: tattoo. Donald, get the tattoo that says forty and zero, and get over with it.
0: Yeah, do uh, it, baby. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think y'all have enough money uh, for me to even <laughs> consider doing that. And <laughs> you definitely don't have enough Jack Daniels. I don't think the entire state of Louisiana has enough Jack Daniels for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, I, I wanna point out, I want to point out one more thing about the schedule. Cherish. Ladies and gentlemen, cherish one aspect of this schedule. I can't recall the last time this happened. We will play the other teams in the big four, NC State, North Carolina, and Wake Forest. We'll play home and home against every one of them in the same season. won't I, happen I, again that for ha- years. That hasn't happened in years, it won't happen again for years. It was the it was the norm. It was the way things always were for decades upon decades upon decades. But when the ACC expanded a few years ago, it went away. And I'm glad to see it back. I'm really glad to see it back. You know, hey, actually, the norm for the most part was to play those schools three times because we also had like the little Big Four classic that we used to play back in December in the 70s and 80s and the such where we play those teams and yeah. didn't count as a conference game. I mean, yep. uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was great. Um, and it's really nice to see that back here again this year. And and I know a lot of people are talking about the fact that we get NC State twice. It feels like it's been forever since we had NC State twice in the schedule. Um, but I just wanted to give those Wake Forest Demon Deacons a shout out as well. Hey, guys, glad to be playing you guys twice as well.
0: Indeed. Uh, and, and it's, I feel like the way the rotation works, we won't see this for like six years, I believe. Um, I so yeah, definitely take that in that we're, you know, the big four is back and there's going to be, everyone's battling each other. So I think that's going to be Four's really back. Bad. And
1: there's no Maryland.
0: And there's no <laughs> Maryland. No Maryland ruining things for everybody. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it, it, Sam, do you have any final thoughts on the uh, schedule?
1: Uh, no, but I, I am. While we're while we're recording this, I'm also watching the Virginia Tech Ohio State football game to give everybody a sense of when we're recording. And oh my God, that move that Braxton Miller just put on the Virginia Tech defense to score that touchdown was incredible.
0: I I, I will watch that later. Uh, I am not an Ohio State fan at all, but I already know what's happening because my phone is blowing up with people saying exactly what's happening. Ohio State is being Ohio State.
1: I have nothing so, else on the schedule. I think we covered it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's sh- shift gears real quick. Um, Sam had some uh, news out of the ACC uh, that will probably affect the Coastal Division in football. So I'll kick it over to you, Sam.
1: Yeah, we found out this week that James Conner is going to be out for the year. He's the running back from Pittsburgh who uh, tormented us last year in our game against them. The only reason we were able to come back and win that game is because the uh, Pittsburgh kicker missed the field goal in, in overtime. Um so uh, that's a huge loss for Pitt. That probably eliminates them as a serious coastal contender. Um, but Georgia Tech looked really good um, this past really weekend good. against really Baltimore good. State. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, So I, I think Georgia Tech is going to be the, uh, the class of the division, um, but we're not going to have the situation we had last year where every team looked like they could win. And I think Pitt really relied on Connor. Uh, and without him there, I think it's going to be a huge challenge for them to, to compete with everybody week week after week in the division so that's that's a bummer for him he's really talented he seems like a good guy um, and seems like he has a, a future in the nfl um, so we'll uh we'll see what happens with with pittsburgh but that 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 stinks for them it's uh it's good for Duke, though
0: yeah it definitely is and, and uh, uh it, it's really uh concerning to see players in the first week go out but it, it's especially uh sad because he is one of those competitors that, yes, he's, he's really good. He's very scary um, when, you, when you're playing against him. But you want to play those type of players. You want those players to, to succeed when they're not playing Duke. So um, our thoughts are with him. Hope, hope he gets well soon. I, I think we'll see him on Sundays uh, in, in the NFL as well. Um, shifting back to basketball, uh, we had some uh, Frank Jackson news. Uh, as you guys remember, last week, Right at the end of our podcast, we actually recorded a little segment of the podcast uh, where we announced that Frank Jackson had committed um, uh, to, to play at Duke, and Jason had some updates on that, so I'll kick it over to Jason.
2: Yeah, you'll recall last week I talked a little bit about Frank Jackson's father, who, um, who is a state senator in the state of Utah and a very successful businessman. Um, uh, his name is Al Jackson, and um, both Al and Frank uh, sat down. With uh, the Devil's Den, with Scouts, uh, Scout.com's Duke uh, website, The Devil's Den, which I guess is sort of a rival of the DBR, but I'm gonna talk about them anyway, screw it. uh, and gave an interview talking about uh, Frank's recruitment to Duke and why he picked Duke. Um, everyone, please, uh, if you care even a little tiny bit about recruiting, um, if you want a little hint of the behind the scenes of how it all works and how it happens. And I should add, if you don't give a damn about any of that stuff, but you really want to get to know um, a kid who's going to be a major part of the Duke program, I hope for multiple years, but maybe just for one year, Um, Frank Jackson. If you want to get to know more about who he is, who his family is, and what kind of a player he's going to be for Duke, go read this article. Read this. It's it's called Behind the Scenes with Frank Jackson. It's a wonderful interview with Frank and his father, Al. Um, uh, Fabulous, amazing stuff in there. Really tells you about the way – Uh, Duke recruits an athlete because they talk a lot about how they developed this relationship with coach Shire, with John Shire and what an incredible relationship they had with him. And then it came time for Shire sort of pass things off to coach K and it wasn't that they didn't talk to Shire anymore, but, but, you know, uh, basically Shire had decided that Frank Jackson was good enough that it was time for coach K to give him a look. Um, And, and the relationship, the way the recruiting worked with coach K and how it was a very different kind of, um, conversation that Frank Jackson would have with Kay than he did with John Shire. It's fascinating stuff. Check it out, people. The other interesting thing about it, if you're someone who follows Duke recruiting, um, they make it very clear that Coach Kay and John Shire said to them, Frank, you are our choice for point guard, for a combo guard in the 2016 class. There are a lot of people who've wondered whether Duke is still involved with a guy named Dennis Smith, who is um, a little bit higher rated than uh, than Frank Jackson. Um, And there's been talk as to whether or not Duke is really interested in him. Well, uh, this article makes it very clear that Duke said to Frank, you are our man, and we're not going to recruit another point guard, combo guard if you commit to us. So now that Frank has committed to Duke, um, Dennis Smith is out of the running. He he is no longer someone that Duke uh, is after. And this article makes that absolutely uh, abundantly clear. Uh, Like I say, I I could go on and on with this. Please go read the article. You'll get a tremendous uh, insight into how these kids make these decisions. Um, and you'll also really learn what a wonderful, amazing kid, uh, and what a wonderful family the Jackson family is. Um, I have so much more respect for Frank Jackson after reading all of this. Um, I just can't wait for him to to get into a, a Duke uniform. Um, and there's so much conversation about family. Family is really important to the Jacksons and to Frank. Um, And you get a real sense of how important family is for Duke and how much Duke is a family. They talk about, the Jacksons talk about the fact that they spoke to to Derek Thornton's dad. They spoke to Jason Tatum's dad. They spoke to Jay Williams, um, uh, you know, the former Duke point guard. There are all these people who are involved with Duke over the years, either current players, former players, parents of players, who all had input into, they talked a lot to Jabari Parker, who, like Frank Jackson, is a Mormon. Um, all these folks had input into Frank Jackson's decision about attending Duke University. That's all I'll say about it. Check it out. You won't be sorry.
0: Uh, I have it saved for me to read later because I, I definitely want to check that out. So thank you for that. Stay in basketball. Um, my one of, Something I want to bring up, uh, I was checking out the Duke Blue Planet um photos from the annual team photo shoot. As everybody knows, they take the, the team photos and a lot of zany photos with the, with the captains and some of the other players. Uh, and I noticed uh, through these photos the other day that they are wearing a new jersey. It is not a jersey that I have seen before. It's not uh, one that I think they have worn before. Um, it looks like a hybrid between the home fauxbacks that we wore last year and the hyper elite jersey we wore throughout the tournament um so if you're if you're thinking about it it looks like it's basically the hyper elite uh jersey that we wore the entire tournament but with uh the white faux back like numbers and uh and in blue instead of white so it looks really clean i thought it looked pretty fantastic i'm trying to see if it's uh, a new full-time uniform or if it's just one another alternate that they're going to plan on using this year um but if 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 that is the jersey for this year, then just sign me up for at least one of them um, because it looks fantastic. I don't know if you guys saw it.
1: I don't know if we have official jobs here on the podcast, but I would nominate that Donald should be the official fashion correspondent um, of the Duke Basketball Report podcast.
0: So I, I let it be I'll written, so let it be done. I, I think I'll take that, that role because uh, right. that was, I saw that. That was awesome.
1: Feel uh, free to change your moderator name now. I think you got a good one. I, I would I would only add
2: that um, so long as the uniform does not include a gold rimmed hat, I'm fine with it.
0: Hey, hey, that would be awesome. Whoa, <laughs> that that would be outstanding. You come out in a gold hat, just let everybody know that the champs are here. That would what be if the, perfect. What if the jersey itself was gold, the champs are no? here. No, champions oh. wear gold. Champions wear gold.
2: Like that would be good. We're the blue devils, not the gold devils.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it would have blue. It'd just be like a gold trim. They yeah. actually, if you think about it, they, in baseball, whoever wins the World Series, they, the first game of the next season, they actually wear their home jersey with a gold trim outline to signify that they are the descending champs. So maybe that's something that could be brought to basketball.
1: I'm in. Hey, why not? Jason. What the heck?
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, we convert, Jason. We're done. We're moving on. So uh, that brings us to the end of our little rundown. Do you guys have any final thoughts? Uh, Sam, I'll start with you.
1: Um, just real quick, uh, former Duke baseball player Marcus Stroman is coming back from his ACL injury. Uh, he is I don't know if he's back with the Blue Jays now or he's about to come back with the Blue Jays, um, but apparently his recovery has been something incredible. I read a, an interesting article on Grantland the other day about it that I would recommend people check out. I know it was linked on the forum. Um Marcus Stroman seems like a, a a great kid and a great ambassador for Duke, and and had there were a lot of interesting things that were said about the way that Duke handled his recovery. So, if you're interested in all that kind of stuff, uh, you should definitely check out that article. It was really good, um, and that is, that was my closing thought.
2: The only thing I've got it, is um, yeah, just really quick. Uh, you know, this was cut down week in the NFL, um, and there were a number of, uh, uh, of Blue Devils who. Um, made rosters and some who did not. And uh, I know a lot of the guys who didn't make it um, are probably like Thaddeus Lewis are probably, uh, you know, really hoping to catch on with the practice squad of some teams. Um, but uh, the one I wanted to mention who did make it, um, and it's because I am in Atlanta and I'm a Falcon fan, um, Sean Renfrey, um, who had sort of kicked around on the Falcons practice squad or sort of as the number three quarterback for the Falcons um, uh, beat out TJ Yates, uh, a former uh, Carolina Tar Heel. Um, Ah, uh, to become the uh, Falcons backup to Matt Ryan, um, Renfrey had an incredible, incredible preseason. He completed seventy two percent of his passes. Um, it really, really looked great out there, um, directing what was mostly the Falcons second team offense. And admittedly, he completed seventy two percent of his passes against second team defenses for the most part. But um, congratulations to him for winning the uh, the Falcons backup job um, as a Falcon fan. I hope that he does not play at all except in blowouts. But, um, but a big deal for him and, and really great for him, uh, you know, as we uh, have talked about many times in this podcast, um, David Cutcliffe is pretty darn good at developing quarterbacks. Um, and uh, uh, Sean Renfrey um, is uh, just uh, sort of the latest example
0: of that. It was really good to see him stick on that roster um, and winning out that battle. I thought that was really good for his confidence and also just the fact that, you know, Duke quarterbacks are still maintaining in the NFL. I thought that was awesome. Uh, my final thought is, uh, as most of you guys know, tomorrow, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, on Tuesday, September 8th, uh, the uh, Duke basketball team will be here in D.C. at the White House um, to, uh, for their ceremony to commemorate the 2015 National Championship. I thought that was pretty cool, um, and I will give you a little nugget next week on how it went because I was one of the privileged few to actually get an invitation to be in the white house. So I will be there tomorrow morning. Uh, yeah, dude, really? Yes. I don't know how, um, or or why I'm on a list, but I think anyone who put me on that list, whoever, whoever's out there, Victoria, you're my girl. Um, but we will see uh, what happens tomorrow. Um, and I will give a full rundown on that next week's podcast.
1: Cannot wait.
0: Yeah. I even have to, I even have to wear a suit, which I'm an attorney. I don't wear a suit ever. Um, I will wear a suit to the White House, to, and, and hopefully I get a picture with Brock and uh, and, and Uncle Joe. But, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be a really fun time tomorrow, hopefully. Is that, that's it. That, you, that,
2: that's that's got to wrap up the podcast. I, yeah, I'm that s- will wrap up. I'm speechless. We're done
0: now. All right, so we're done. That concludes Episode 28 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. For Jason and for Sam, I am Donald. We will see you next week. And Duke Band, take us home.